I'm Gigi Johnson, and this is Amplify Music Conversations, where we captured the voices and music panels from the Amplify Music 2021 virtual conference. Over the course of the panels, you'll hear more than 100 panelists from a wide variety of cities and countries, each working in their local communities to recover from the challenges and changes of the pandemic. You'll hear about new community models, collaborations, and ways of organizing, each recovering and transforming their own music environment. Thank you, and welcome to the the where and who of live music in 2021. Uh, I am Jeff Mayfield, and I am uh, on the faculty at Los Angeles College of Music in the Music Business Program. I also freelance, uh, contributing mainly to Variety over the past year, but continue to write for Billboard, where I worked for more than 20 years. But What's important are the people who are with me. We have a great panel to uh, sort through this topic. So uh, uh, right now, they'll each introduce themselves, starting with a fellow who's closest to me geographically. I'm in Pasadena, California, and in Denver, we have Chris Zacker. Hi, my name is Chris Zacker. I am the uh, founder and executive director of Levitt Pavilion Denver in uh, Denver, Colorado, where a 16,000-seat amphitheater located in the heart of the city. And uh, I also serve... Um, as the lead for NEVA, the National Independent Venue Association in the state of Colorado, and I am the board chair for SEBA, the Colorado Independent Venue Association. And I also teach at UCD. And then I, I am actually less than two miles from a Levitt Pavilion here in Pasadena. Uh, so welcome aboard, Chris. And I want to go now to Austin and Don Pitts from Sound Music Cities. Hello, Don. Hello, Jeff. Uh, I'm Don Pitts, uh, founder and president of Sound Music Cities. I've worn many hats in the music industry uh, for the last 30 years. Most notably, I've been ten last 10 years really more of a music policy geek. Uh, last, then I served seven years at the, as the manager of the City of Austin Music and Entertainment Office. So we have the Pacific time zone, mountain time zone, central time zone. We're skipping the east time zone as we go east because we go way far east as we welcome Anya Della Croce. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. Um, So I'm Anya. Um, I've been active in the music industry for over 20 years now. Also did a lot of different things, some PR, some management, some booking, uh, tour production, tour management as well. Um, I was head of booking in a festival for nine years and in a club for four years. And since 2019, I work for PEDSI, which is the Swiss Federation of Nonprofit Live Music clubs and venues. We represent over 200 members and amongst the different services, one of them is a nonprofit ticketing service. So it was about a a month and a year ago that the U.S. got shut down after shutdowns had already happened in Europe and in Asia. And the beginning is like, hey, we can do this for a couple of weeks and then we can do this for a couple of months. And now if you talk to anyone in live music last year, uh, uh, it was a tough thing, whether it was a manager, tour manager, booker, venue, whoever. Uh, uh, we learned what we did in the 90s when the record industry stopped making singles, that if you don't make a product, your your profits will go down. Absolutely, we had a case study of that with live music throughout the world. So now that we have vaccination rates, at least 50% of Americans have had one vaccine. Um, the national rate for full vaccination is 26%, with some states here uh, higher than 30%. So I guess we're all set, right? We're selling tickets at Dodger Stadium and, and, and everything go back to normal. Well, it's not quite that simple. What dramatic changes do you all see happening in venue landscapes as we as we try to dig out of where we are? 
Well, you know, I can I can start on this. I I, I think that you know once we get going, and uh, just to preface this, that we we are planning to to reopen, and we've already done our first announce. So, um, you know, I think on the outdoor side of things, that's what we're going to see opening up first, and it's going to be uh, socially distanced pods. Um, limited to household members uh, or to, to family members, um, uh, longer queue lines to get in and just more safety protocols within the venue that are not going to look exactly how they they looked pre-COVID. And venues are new to this. So we need our, our patron base to, to walk with us. This isn't something that we're used to doing either. So, uh, you know, it could be pretty confusing at first, I think. Don? I think it's going to look different depending on where you are. Uh, I've got a client on the West Coast that, uh, yeah, they're in the stages of even talking about the beginning stages of talking about reopening, and it's the state government is sending people to the local governments um, and hasn't notified the, the local governments about their part of their process. Uh, I think in Texas, my my home state. Uh, We've thrown caution to the wind and just kind of opened everything up. And I think the venues uh, are kind of leading the, it's kind of a self, self-governed self the industry's doing now. So kind of, we're kind of, we have a governor that, as you know, as we talked about last week, just kind of opened everything up. So apparently your, 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 uh, your peers are being more cautious than the, than the state government is about reopening, right? Yeah, I think it's good to see. And I think if you look at the, I mean, even nationally across the board, I think the venues, the responsible ones are uh, are being more responsible uh, and and know what needs to be done. I think ultimately we, we want to just change the behavior. I also think it's going to be too early to tell. I mean, I think this year, I really do think I kind of fought that mindset that it was going to be 2022 before things got normal. But I think that I don't think we've, really seeing the I think we're going to lose I think certain cities are going to lose more venues uh, I've talked to a lot of people that are actually processing these loans and grant programs that a lot of these folks aren't making it and Anya you have a whole different situation we when we met to discuss this panel last week uh, you know our vaccination rates are what I stated earlier but there it's much lower less than 10 percent in Switzerland right yeah, as of next uh, last Tuesday, it was 8% for both shots. Um, the vaccination is still not open for uh, people aged under 64. Uh, they are talking about opening it next week or in the next days, depending on the regions, depending on the states. But one thing that is pretty sure is that the, the generations that are most eager to go back to shows and to live music won't have access to the vaccines like straight away. We just had a press conference today, like a few hours ago, about from our government who said they will get doses. And so they, I mean, they hope to get most of the population vaccinated by July. But the other issue is that we also have a lot of people who don't want to get the vaccine. So we are now talking about a passport COVID and stuff. And this is a very edgy discussion. <laughs> because a lot of people don't agree even within the music industry about this. And the situation we have at the moment is that we are still closed. Um, actually, it's not really true because they announced last week that we could reopen. They announced last Wednesday we could reopen from Monday. So it leaves four days to the venues to actually put up a program. 
And but it's only with like max 50 people, uh, max one third of the capacity seated with masks. And um, the main issue is that you cannot have seated with social distancing. So, I mean, you can imagine for smaller venue, it, it's just you can put 10 people inside and with no food and beverage, which makes it impossible for most of the venues to actually run something that is economically viable, I would say. So, well, well picking, up on, picking up on your thoughts and, and what Don mentioned earlier about how this keeps being a moving target, do we have any sense of, of, of how we're going to see changes in permit use? Uh, is this part of an ongoing assessment? It's, it's going to be messy until it gets going? Yeah, it's, it's going to be messy until it gets going, for sure. Um, you know, it's not going to be equitable. You know, unfortunately, uh, you're not going to, you know, depending on what state you're in, what type of venue you have, um, it's it's going to, you know, some people are going to be able to open earlier than others. Some people are going to have higher capacity than others. And, you know, the reality is, is that, you know, arts and culture in general is, is vital to the economic uh, stability of all of our communities. And we, we, we've lost so much in this past year. We're not just going to get that back when these doors open back up. It's going to be it's a long road to recovery. And we really need all of these markets opening, not just in the United States or in North America, but in, in Europe as well. You know, the artists tour internationally and their their bottom line is based off of tour routes um, and these tour routes aren't open. So as exciting as it is about talking about venues opening, we're not there and we're not going to be there until probably 2022. We are not, we are like geographically in the middle of Europe, but I mean, Belgium is closed down, Italy is closed down, France is locked down. I mean, this is really an issue and something we've tried to, you know, put awareness to a government also that they need to speak to each other and to make, to make it possible for bands to actually go on tour. Because this is one of the main things we tried to explain them last summer when festivals started to can to cancel. They were like, but why do the band cancel because we could still do some events and they don't have the knowledge of what you just said, that bands are going on tour. They cannot just do one-offs here and there, you know, and, and this is an opportunity for local bands, I guess, but I mean, we're not going to sell the same amount of tickets with just the local bands, you know? So this is, this is a real issue the the international uh, side of it, I would say. Well, you hit the nail on the head earlier on your, when you, when you talked about F and B, uh, you know, F and B is everything to a promoter and to, yeah. and to the venue owner. The artist is taking 85% of the cut. So in order to open with limited capacity, the artist has to be willing to adjust their pay scale and what they're expecting. If they're not willing to do that, it's not going to work because the venue isn't making money off the tickets and the F and B is limited by capacity. So it's, there's a lot of chicken and the egg scenarios that, that fold into this that make it really difficult for some markets to open. Uh, for the uninitiated F&B's food and beverage, uh, one of the themes that came up last week is, is that as you try to navigate the changes we have to deal with just to get things going again, you've also been using this time to examine some issues that were already in the minds of people in the live music space before. So, so what are some of those things that you've had to think through that, that really were probably already important even before public health became so top of mind? Chris, you want to take that first and then. Uh, I think I think you just volunteered you, Chris. <laughs> yeah, sure. I, I, like there's a lot of issues that have existed in the music industry for a long time. It's, it, you know, it, is is the industry as a whole is broken 
on a lot of levels. So, you know, what we've been trying to attack, at least on my side, is uh, secondary ticket markets. And unfortunately, the the state of Colorado uh, did not push through the bill that we thought they were going to that would restrict how you can transfer tickets after you've bought those tickets. And, you know, a big component to this whole secondary market is, is they're artificially inflating the 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 value of those shows by using special programs and their bots to eat up tickets and then put them on their own on their own marketplace to sell for those inflated prices and the control from the artist in the venue goes away and it also decreases accessibility and makes makes it much more expensive to go to a show and that's one of the things we have to fix moving forward we have skyrocketing costs um, at venues for for production and artists want artist management wants more and more and more and more because their their uh, recording revenue streams have dropped to nearly zero and the, the whole industry we need a reboot on how we're going to be operating moving forward and having more open conversations between venues and artists um, on how the the financial metrics work in order to be viable long term otherwise we're going to end up with one or two promoters who promote every single show in the entire world. And we don't need that. We need independent venues. They're important for emerging artists. They're important for our communities. So yeah, there's going to be more pressure on the secondary market with with even more scarcity than there was in everyday life. Don, what's your point of view? Well, I just uh, I think we talked a little bit about it last week. I, I think it's going to be different for the independent venues versus the festivals. I mean, I think you've got the music ecosystem is a very it's almost like three separate you know industries or at least two but i think the i think the venue i know in austin you know a lot of our advocates had had really advocated for a zoning use of really specific of of a what is a live music venue uh when we've been arguing you don't really want that type of designation that's too uh specific because the the model of a live music venue of a true live music venue is kind of an old outdated model. And I know just this week we had our premier music venue here. The Mohawk is kind of a thought leader uh, announced they were going to reopen this summer, but under a whole complete different model, you know, where it's part venue, part event space, part weddings, uh, and then trying to use some of that space during, during, during the day, daytime use. So I think what we've been thinking about for years is like the, knowing that the model of, of the smaller venues, uh, I think what we've seen from a consumer use is that they really enjoyed the festivals. Uh, I know with, with ACL Fest here, kind of this smorgasbord of, of artists, and it was a really good way to for artist discovery in a lot of ways. And I'm not sure how much that will change. I mean, I think it's going to be interesting to see what the, how, what the consumption is. I mean, I think it's, the consensus, though, I agree with Chris, it, it's going to be 2022 before we really, before the dust really settles on the on the festival stuff. So this year's going to be more like a test drive, and, and we were not really going to be closer to where we were until next year, most likely. Yeah, and I'm hearing a lot of the, you know, national acts. I mean, there's a lot of activity. I spent a lot of time in New York and, and L.A. Um, and Nashville. And so a lot of that industry is, they're starting to gear back up for what they think is a summer thing. And it's then... Essentially, what you've got is a cramming six, uh, you know, twelve months worth of touring into six months this year, and then I think in twenty twenty two it's going to be a kind of an overabundance of supply because all these artists are going to be itching to get back out. Well, I mean, in yeah. line with that, we've 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 had a uh, an open date announced for Hollywood Bowl out here, 
And we're still already starting to see some ads from Live Nation show up online. So I, I know certainly they're getting eager. How about over there in Switzerland? And, and what's your sense of not only what's happening there, but what do you hear about Europe in general, Anya? Well, um, at the moment, I think most of the festivals are actually have already canceled, at least in their original format, at least for this summer. Uh, some of them were working on uh, rescaling their events to something smaller, but it's pretty difficult when you have fixed costs that are really high, you know, to cover. I mean, at some point you need to make a decision. One of the main thing I think will be an issue for us is going to be the congestion of shows, like you were just saying, like, Whenever it comes back, whenever we can start again, I mean, Switzerland is a very small country, but we have a lot of clubs and a lot of festivals. It's quite massive. So there already is quite a big, huge offer, I would say. And I've been speaking with some agents lately that are already saying that for the venues don't have any more dates, like free dates. And some of the agents are speaking about March 2022 and having 10 different bands in options to play on the same night. Sometimes four shows are in the same city even. So this is going to be, I think this is going to be a complicated one. And and I think maybe there is a, an opportunity to, to like you said, uh, Chris, there's, there's a lot of things that were already a problem and issues before in the industry. So maybe we should actually jump on this occasion to, to rethink a little and come back to something maybe smaller or just different deals. And as you said, we don't want to end up with two promoters only. And I represent grassroots venues, so of course I'm going to agree with that. And this is going to be a fight to, to, to keep those venues up and running and reopening. Don, you made the very salient point that when you look at live music, you're almost talking about two or three different industries with competing interests and certainly the limited margins that that you all have referred to uh, have to do with that gamesmanship between those different stakeholders. Is it possible that now that we're in a situation where everyone's been hurt for about a year now or more than a year, is it possible that people will be more flexible about thinking through the economics or do we figure it's just going to get back to business as usual once we get through this? I think to Anya's and Chris's earlier point, uh, I think that the, the top ones, it makes a billion dollar industry to, to some folks. Uh, it's the way of life for the other folks. I think the, the billionaires, uh, Billion, people that participate in the billion dollar industry are going to keep on seeking that money. Uh, I don't think they'll change too much. I think that they'll, uh, it'll be interesting to see if they respond to whatever the consumers dictate. Cause I think, I think any change we've had in the music industry in the last 15 years, it's been predicated by consumer behavior uh, and not, I mean, the music industry didn't really want to go along with it. Uh, but I think it's an opportunity for the local, local, music scenes and local artists uh, if they do the right things, depending on what's going on in their, in their geographic location. So give me an example of what, what, what a a right thing would be to, to, to take advantage of that opportunity. Well, I mean, it depends on what's, I think what's going on. I think, you know, what we've been advocating for years was to be able to put more music in, in like different parts of cities and not make it. That's why I, I, my frustration has always been whenever we work into a city, we start seeing these underlying uh, prohibitive uh, policies that are that prohibit even having music in a in a certain zoning category. Um, I think, and it's we're learning more every 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 year. I mean, the last three or four years of working with multiple cities, 
they've they've got some doozies in there, like no dancing or or whatever. It's just 1950s, 40s, 40s laws that need to be updated. Um, I think that the consumers that I, the six or seven cities that I'm really familiar with, the audiences really prefer these not they either prefer festivals or non-traditional venues. Um, so I think in order for us to satisfy the the folks that like the smaller non-traditional venues, I th- there's going to be a lot of policy work that, that needs to be done. Um, I'm also worried about when it goes to the festival pieces and the touring, you know, there's, I did some, some research last year in a couple of cities. And then there was an article that came out this week about the, a lot of the, the roadies as they called them, which is, I, I hate that terminology, but a lot of the, the support technicians for the live touring industry left uh, the industry. They, they, the industry folks have said that they predicted it as a, at least a third, but you know, some of the research that I've done, it's, it's, it's probably half in, in, in smaller cities that have left. Oh yeah. Without a doubt. I mean, I've lost, I've definitely lost uh, sound engineers and lighting engineers that have gone on to other careers during the pandemic and, uh, you know, but that's opportunity at the same time. It's opportunity for all these kids that are going to these these schools yeah. and trying to get into these career paths. Um, you know, to, to go back to an earlier point, we were talking about local artists. I think 2021 is a really great year for local artists. Yeah. 2022 is going to be hard for local artists because all of these national touring artists are all going to be on the road at the same time. And you take a city like Denver or Austin or Los Angeles or Nashville or Minneapolis, these cities that are music cities all of the venues are going to be stacked with these national touring artists. So, you know, I think that local artists really need to take advantage of what they have available to themselves right now and figure out how they can push themselves to a level to where festivals are coming, calling for them next year. Um, Now is the time to grab the bull by the horns before it's too late. I completely agree. And I was also, um, I also wanted to talk about the, the intact, the technicians and the, the situation you were talking about, Don, because this is what we've been spending most of our time in the last years trying to explain the complexity of the entire ecosystem of our industry because we've, we've come to realize that our authorities have actually no idea. And it's quite complex because there are, you know, many different stages, many different, there's a lot of different uh, jobs and, and, and uh, skills. And some of them are self-employed, some of them are private, some of them are non-profit or half-half. And it's very complicated for them to understand how many people are actually working to put up a show. And we've lost already quite a lot of those people. And this is one of the fear we have because reopening is great. But what if the people are not there to work anymore, you know? So it is an opportunity, but it's not only, I mean, this is one of the things we are quite worried about, I would say. Save Our Stages was part of the one of the recent uh, COVID r- relief packages we had here in the U.S., which offers some relief to people in the live space. Have you had anything like that in Switzerland? Yeah, we did have a lot of help. I mean, not yeah. I mean, I mean, it is a lot of help compared to different countries, but it's also a pretty rich country, so it's kind of normal that they they gave us some help. Um, the issue is the complexity. The fact that, as I was saying, a lot of people don't have the right status of where an instructor. I'm, I'm mostly talking about artists here. A lot of artists, like local artists, were not declaring their fees, you know, so they couldn't get any any uh, support. Um, and again, it's it's decisions that are made on a federal level, but 
that are advocates in on a regional level. So it was a challenge for us to actually understand what was going on in which region because the states, well, pretty much did it differently. Every, not every state, but there was like two ways of, of, of getting grants. I would say that for the structure, the non-profit or the, the, the ones that have some subsidies, as long as they are closed, get the fur- get furlough and get the help, they are going to be safe. But for the artist and the rest of the ecosystem and the private, it's going to be complicated. And it is already for quite a lot of people. So and 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 moreover, the, the sound and light um, companies, which are actually not getting anything at the moment. So yeah. we Other do have to help. Yeah, it's it's challenging to keep them running. Picking up on on the earlier topic of the fact that it's one of the complicating deals is the different agencies you have to deal with, and, and even from market to market, it can be different. You know what what what's acceptable to reopen, um, and one of those potential issues could be the idea of a vaccine pass uh, or a vaccine passport. And certainly in Florida, maybe that might be difficult. But I'd like to get a sense from each of you, from your different locales, either from your own venues or or, or from your peers, what's your sense of whether or not that kind of regulation can be imposed by local operators, starting with Chris? Uh, not a fan. Um, we're, we're dealing with a vaccine that's operated under uh, emergency, emergency approval by the FDA. State mm-hmm. of Colorado is not going to implement a plan due to that. Their health department cannot do that. Um, we're also talking about, you know, you, you mentioned earlier, 50% of eligible uh, vaccine recipients in the United States have received at least one dose. It, these types of programs are expensive to implement. They're time intensive to implement. And by the by the time that the venues are really starting to open up to where we're going to need that, we can get that mass, um, it's going to be pretty useless. So I'm not a fan of them. So if there's resistance in uh, Denver, I'm imagining there's even higher resistance in Texas, Don. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think our legislation is actually trying to pass a law to prohibit uh, any business or or so to, to enforce it. Passport type deal, but you know when we were talking about this panel last week, I think when Chris said that their gov- the Colorado governor actually, I mean he has a point in the sense that I mean on one hand I really want to encourage everyone to get the vaccine, but on the other hand I think the governor that you stated last week that you know he said the fact that it was under an emergency order that was one of his reasons to do it. So and I think that's a pretty balanced kind of common sense approach. Okay, great. Well, listen, uh, this has been a really wonderful conversation. Any any closing thoughts on you? Well, I hope we're going to be able to go back to live really soon. That's what I want to say. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, it's quite difficult for us doing dealing with no, not much pers- pers- perspectives at the moment. Sorry, but I mean, at some point it will come back, and um, yeah. I'm hoping that I'm I'm actually also hoping to be back on the road pretty soon as a tour manager because I missed this as well. <laughs> well, I think you came up with the perfect way to end our conversation. I think I think we could all look at that with a so say we all. Uh, so Chris, uh, Anya, Don, thank you so much. Well, thanks for listening to Amplify Music Conversations. We hope you enjoyed this discussion and come back to listen to our other podcast episodes, either following us in your favorite podcast player or at amplifymusic.org or even on YouTube. 
And you can find a way to sign up for our email list and join our various groups on Facebook and on LinkedIn. We'd like to thank the Institute of International Business at the University of Colorado, Denver, who sponsors this podcast series, as well as the conference sponsors, Mia, UCLA Herb Alpert School of Music, the Creative Arkansas Community Hub and Exchange, Ben Zugel, Tully, and Lyric Find. We've had great support putting this conference together this year, and we look forward to continuing these conversations with you through this podcast. Thanks for listening. You have found one of our adventures now in the Marimel Podcast Network. You can find our shows everywhere that you listen to podcasts. We've got Amplify Music Conversations from the Amplify Music Conferences during the pandemic, Creative Innovators, and now Innovating Music. If you're interested in following up with us in any of these shows, please reach out on our websites, and you can find those in the show notes.